1: Hey guys, we got a great show for you today. Patrick Creighton is our special guest. We talked about Carlos Correa hiring Scott Boris as his agent. We also talked about the Major League Baseball lockout. And then we did a fair or foul segment, which was very good. You don't want to miss that. And speaking of something you don't want to miss, this Sunday, February 6th, original member of the Killer Bees. Sean Barry will be joining the show. So anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Patrick Creighton.
0: Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs.
2: Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a
1: fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey, guys, welcome back to another episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me today, listener's favorite, Patrick Creighton from ESPN 97.5 Late Hits. Patrick, I appreciate you coming back on today, buddy.
3: What's going on, man? How you doing? How's, uh, you know, you, you're able to stay warm out there. Pipes didn't freeze. Water's not bursted. Car's not frozen over. All that good stuff.
1: No. I, yesterday, I didn't even leave the house. They gave us the day off. I didn't even leave the house, so I don't even know how cold it was. I left the house today just to go get uh, my glasses out of the truck, get the mail out, and that's it. But it's a, it's a beautiful day today. I mean, it's sunny, it's just a little cold, but other than that, road conditions look fine for uh, heading back to work tonight.
3: You know, I moved down here from the frozen tundra of the Great White North to get away from stuff like this. <laughs>
1: It happens. Hey, at least we did. you lose power? We didn't lose power. I lost Internet
3: last night. Uh, did not lose power, did not lose Internet, which was good because if we lost power. I think I'd be leading a charge of like 50,000 Texans uh, up to the Capitol, uh, and we would basically just burn everything. Like, so after, got... like the year after, uh, you know, people die because there's not enough power. And we all lose power because it got cold. You know, I, I've lived in cold states. You know, it doesn't happen when, we, when when it gets cold. We don't lose power for a week. Some people lost power for a month. Yeah, like if they, after all their grandstanding about, oh, we did all this stuff. If we lost power again because it got to 25 degrees, like, fire everybody.
2: Yeah, that would have been really bad. Because now they've had a year to prepare for it.
3: So I'm glad that I'm glad that nobody, at least nobody that I know of, like I didn't see anything online of anybody saying they lost power uh, and they don't like they lost power for any kind. I haven't seen anything about anybody losing power. So I hope that nobody went through that because that was absolutely freaking awful last year.
1: Yeah. My only tragedy is that I was in the middle of a romantic comedy with the wife on Netflix and uh, it stopped working. So before I had to go... you were able
3: to get to the good part where she's in the mood, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed, them. I missed them falling in love. So So anyway, folks, we've got Patrick Creighton on today. Like I said, a listener's favorite. And we are – I described it this way to my wife. Me and Patrick Creighton, we're going to get in the glass elevator in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and bust through the glass ceiling known. That's 200,000 listens of Astros baseball, so strap on, Patrick. We're we're doing it today.
3: All right, if we get too high, we'll just start burping like Charlie and Grandpa.
1: Yeah, fizzy lifting drinks. All right, let's start off with this. I heard this the other day. Carlos Correa hired Scott Boris to represent him. He said, I have made the decision to hire the Boris company to represent me moving forward. The Boris company offers the highest level of baseball expertise and proven experience. And he said he will not comment beyond that. I don't think Correa is coming back to Houston anyway, even though some people think there's a chance. What what does this do for his chances of coming back to Houston or does it affect it at all?
3: I think Coles Correa's chances of coming back to the Houston Astros are exactly where they were before he switched agencies. And that is negative (laughs) 9,000%. I mean, let's, let's just understand Correa had to change agents because the agency he was working with is basically about to get decertified by the union because they started buying interests in minor league teams. Now that goes very much against, uh, MLBPA's policy and, uh, you know, and how they certify agencies, you cannot own a part of a major league team or a minor league team and then represent players because it's a massive conflict of interest. So the fact that the agency is buying up minor league teams, it can't represent players because then you've got a conflict of interest. Am I looking for, am I looking out for the betterment of the team, which is an affiliate of a major league organization, or am I looking out for the best interest of the player? You can't do both at the same time. So Correa was put into a position where he was going to have to change agents no matter what. And when you do, when you're Carlos Correa and you are the best player coming into free agency that was going to be on the market, you're going to hire the best agent. And whether you like Scott Boris or you don't like Scott Boris, he is the absolute freaking best in the world. He has been so far ahead of the curve for decades. That is why he always wins when it gets to these negotiations. Scott Boris never loses because he's always ahead of the teams. He's smarter than they are. He's more advanced than they are. His numbers are faster. Everything that Scott Boris does is ahead. And the fact that, like, if you're a top player in baseball, almost all of them are represented by Scott Boris. You know, that reputation is is. Is in imbe- Every time he goes through another, uh, another negotiation, he further enhances his reputation of being the best uh, agent for any player. Carlos Trey is gonna get his money from who I don't know yet, but he will get his money because Scott Boris is gonna deliver. Now, whether he gets his money as soon as they come out of this lockout, whenever that happens, or if he gets it the day before the season starts, he's going to get his money. You know, we had the same conversation. Well, who's going to pay Bryce Harper all that money? Well, who's going to pay Manny Machado all that money? And we always have the same question. Who, there's nobody left and then somehow, some way, Scott Forrest's money on the table. So I think it's great for Correa. Um, anybody who was questioning whether Correa was going to get paid or not, Craig will get paid. And uh you know the it, it'll be it'll be somebody because Cole Spray is going to bring a lot color is so much to the table. He is the elite defensive player at his position in the league. He's the best. He is an elite bat for his position. Now, I understand he's not a top 5 bat in the, in the entire league, but at shortstop, Cole is a top 6 bat. And then add in the fact that He is a leader. He was the leader of the Houston Astros. And you can make a very strong argument. He was becoming the face of the franchise ahead of Jose Altuve. Not because Altuve's not a great player, but Altuve's personality is not the same as Correa. Altuve doesn't like the camera. Altuve doesn't like to talk to the media. Altuve doesn't really talk much. He's just a quiet kind of guy. Correa, not afraid of the camera, not afraid to do a little look at me. You know, you hear the, the idea of, oh, it's, it's Carlos Correa. Well, you know what? The show is really damn good, so watch it. Carlos Correa is going to get paid, and he's going to make some team way better than they were the year before. And I know that they've said they're not going to do it. But, man, if Detroit Tigers sign Carlos Correa, they push forward their rebuild by a full year and a half. And at some point in time, every team, when they want to make that jump from we're rebuilding to we're on the rise, you've got to sign that, that kind of player. But usually you don't get that player at 27 years old, very much in the prime of his career, still getting better as a player. And that guy is an elite offensive, defensive player and a great guy in the clubhouse and a, and a team leader that's loved and respected both by the players and the fans. Carlos Correa brings a whole package. If Detroit were to sign him, and look, they're clearly they're not afraid to pay big money because they gave Berlander a lot of money when you think about when that deal was signed. They gave mm-hmm. Miggy Cabrera a ton of money when you think about when that deal was signed. The Ilyich family is mm-hmm. stupid loaded, so it's not like they can't afford it. Uh, they can afford that deal, and he would he would advance their their rebuild by almost two full years.
1: Their first offer to him was like 10 years 240 million. So they might they might be off by about 100 million there. But definitely if he's going to get a contract cuz he if he's the number 1 free agent, he's he's going to want more money than Seager and that's why you're saying negative 900% or whatever the number you said that he's coming back to Houston because he's not getting it here. There's no way.
3: Yeah. No, they're not gonna pay him. And and it's a shame because Carlos Cray is a guy who should be an astro for life, whose numbers should one day hang up on in the rafters like everybody else's, uh, whose numbers have been retired. Uh, essentially his number would hang up there next with Jose Altuve and Biggio and Bagwell and and all the greats that have that have come before them. And it's just I mean look, there's no there's no actual logical reason to not pay him. The idea of the Astro oh, well, we can't pay. I don't. Want, I mean, I, it's it's a podcast, and I probably could say it, but I'm just gonna say it's BS. It yeah. is the most absolute, largest pile of BS that you can possibly think of. See, the owners <laughs> don't like to open their books; they've never opened their books to the players. But we have now two teams in baseball who are owned by public companies, so they have to open their books: the Toronto Blue Jays and the Atlanta Braves. Well, the Atlanta Braves this year. For quarter two, beat their quarter two from 2019, which is the most money baseball's ever made, beat their quarter two revenues by eight figures. And if you think about quarter two, you couldn't fill the stadium because of COVID rules. So you had limited capacity, and the Braves sucked. They were under 500. For hmm. quarter three, they demolished. Their 2019 quarter three numbers, and if again, if you remember, the Braves weren't any good yet, the Braves don't get hot until after the trade deadline. So, there you've got you know months here where you can't fill the stadium because of COVID rules, your team's not playing well, and you're beating the year that was the record number for Major League Baseball for quarter four with their World Series numbers. I mean, they, they probably just nuked it straight into the sun. But the idea being, now we know MLB for, for 2022 is due to have all these massive increases in in TV num- money for your national TV for the regular season. They signed record deals for the postseason, and the owners keep the overwhelming majority of money for the postseason. That, you start looking at at the amount of money that teams get before they pay out a single dollar they all get a minimum 100 million dollars in tv money before they sign on one sponsor before they take one ticket before one person pays for parking or buys a soda they're hmm. all over a hundred million dollars, some of them are over 150 million dollars. They haven't sold one single thing and they haven't paid a dime. And you've got teams that have payrolls in the 30 and 40 million dollar range right now. So think about how much money these guys just lining their pockets with. And this is why baseball, the union is so angry with the revenue sharing because you've got teams that are revenue sharing, even though they're not really in small markets, like Miami's not a small market. Miami is like what market 12. It's not a small market. The smallest market in baseball is Milwaukee. It's a market 37. Every single team in baseball plays in a top 37 market. There are no, quote, small markets. No. And they all make over $100 million before they even flick the switch of the light bulbs on. Hmm. Owning owning a professional baseball team is a license to print money. And the fact that, they oh, well, we can't pay this, we can't pay that, it's all BS. They just don't want it. Right. True. Like they didn't want to pay Dallas Keuchel and they didn't want to pay Charlie Morton and they didn't want to pay George Springer. You know, oh we, we can't pay George because you know we're gonna have to pay Carlos. Well <laughs> all right, well now we can't pay Carlos because you know we're gonna have to pay, you know, Kyle Tucker and Yaron Alvarez. Well, what's the excuse gonna be when you don't pay them?
1: Yeah, they got it's, some big they got some big bucks coming up.
3: There's always an excuse for why you can't pay a guy, but the reality is, man, they've been printing money since 2016. Yeah, this team isn't isn't like you know. whether well, they've been hurting financially. They've been printing money for like eight years. Let's dive
1: into the uh, let's dive into the uh, lockout a little bit. I know because you brought up you know about their revenue sharing and all that. What what would you say if they installed, you know, how they have the ceiling for the threshold tax? What would you say if they installed a floor? I read something like $100 million, It would keep teams from uh, tanking and also about, uh, you know, penalizing these guys and maybe having a, uh, a draft lottery so they won't be able to get that first pick.
3: Well, see, if, if you change the way you do the draft, so the draft does not work inverse order, um, you know, you you kind of set up a scenario where teams that aren't quote tanking, they're just you know they're rebuilding. It makes it really hard for them to get through. And t- if if you're awarding the best picks to the best teams, you already have a system of haves and have-nots. We might as well just eliminate 15 teams. Because they'll never compete. They won't even try. And we're just, we are just—we might as well just contract half the league. That, that's where we'll be at. Think about this, you know, for a floor of $100 million, right? Right now, the Chicago Cubs payroll is under $100 million. The freaking Cubs! Wow. Market three, one of the <laughs> heritage of uh, franchises in Major League Baseball, they are 18th in payroll right now at 98 million dollars. Wow. The Cleveland Guardians payroll right now is 29 million. The Orioles are 29 and a half. The Pirates are 34 and a half. <laughs> the Marlins are 55-7. The Diamondbacks, who, if you think back to when they first came into the league, they spent money like drunken sailors because they couldn't print the money fast enough. $66.6 million.
2: So these teams aren't even trying.
3: They're not even trying.
1: Yeah. And they asked, you know The what? Astros were in that boat. They had had a $24 payroll back in the day. Yeah, I remember
3: there was one year that their payroll was less than Alex Rodriguez's salary. (laughs) But, you know, to Jim Crane's credit, he said he would spend when the team was ready to to move forward. And they built the team. It took a few years. It built the team. And by 2015, they were in the playoffs. And he was spending money. Yeah. How long? The Cleveland Guardians were in first place uh, in, in the AL Central for, like, what, seven years in a row? And then they just decided, all right, you know what? We need to not pay people.
2: Yeah, it's crazy.
3: You know, the Pirates, the Pirates have been rebuilding since Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla left. I mean, Mm. it's literally, it's a 25-year rebuild in Pittsburgh. Baltimore hasn't been any good since Albert Bell had that horrible hip injury, that Bo Jackson-type hip injury that ended his career. And Peter Angelos just decided, all right, I'm not spending money anymore. Hmm. Little, you could go right back to that injury. You know, it's it's kind of embarrassing. Like the Colorado Rockies, they're another team. They printed money like crazy. Remember, they're the first team to have four guys, 40 homers each on the team. It didn't matter that they weren't necessarily, you know, more than an 85-win team. Everybody went because they scored a million runs. Their payrolls. Ninety million bucks, and their owner is an absolute doofus. I remember they,
1: the Mar the Marlins spent all that money, won a World Series, and broke it all down. They they're okay. Well, we won when we're done. I don't know what happened in,
3: there in two thousand three. That was um, oh, was that uh, basically they, they all they they won the World Series and then they stripped the team down to sell it. Yeah. And like both times they won the World Series, it was like 97 and then and then oh, uh, three, they stripped the team down. They sold it. Hmm. You know, this is, you know, and then when. Um, when Loria started spending the money, they signed what Mark Burley and Jose Reyes and they signed a whole bunch of free agents. But they kept those guys like two months. And they're like, yeah, whatever. We're selling them all off again. They spent money in the off to convince the municipality, "Hey, give us money for our new stadium." And as soon as they got the new stadium, like, all right, uh, we were just kidding on spending money. Yeah, and, and that's why that that market hates the team, and that's really the the big uh, challenge Derek Jeter's group has is repairing the relationship with the fans. With the previous owner was a total asshole. And I hate when people have David Samson on because that guy was literally mocking fans and flipping them off. Like, screw you. We got our money. There's nothing you could do about it. Why would you ever have that guy on to talk about baseball? He's a schmuck. And and when I see people that have him on, I'm like, you are just a colossal lady. Why would you ever put a – do you know anything? Like, have you you read anything about baseball that's not a year old? How can you – that that guy has one ounce of credibility this is what people do but to me and and this is crazy because it, it goes against everything the union stands for but it's really time that the union calls major league baseball on their desire for a salary cap and this is why in our other three major sports we have salary caps where the revenue is essentially split about 50 50 Last year, baseball players earned about 38% of baseball-related incomes. As, as baseball's income continues to go up, and keep this in mind, baseball revenue, with the exception of the COVID season, because they only played 60 games, every year since 1998, they have made record revenues every single year. Yet baseball overall average salaries have gone down four years in a row. That's not how it's supposed to work. And the union knows this and that's why they're holding out. But in reality, if they had if they had the, you know, basically had the stones to call the, the owners out. You guys want a salary cap so bad? Fine. Let's talk about a salary cap. Open your books. Because you can't have a salary cap if we don't know what the true number is for all baseball-related revenue, and then we split it. And then we split it in half, and then you take that half, and you split it equally among all 30 teams, and that's your cap. And if you don't spend within 10% of the cap over a three-year period, you write a check to the MLBPA. How are we talking now? Because they will all shut up, tuck tail, and run. Yeah. Because they don't want to open their books. They sure as hell don't want to pay 50%. And they don't want to have to. Uh, baseball owners, unlike all the other leagues, they don't want to have that kind of revenue sharing. There is still that caste system in baseball where the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubbies, like, they don't want to share their money with the A's and the Mariners and, and, and the Pirates. Like They don't want
2: to. Yeah. And that's
3: literally what it takes. If you want to create a parity system the way that the other leagues have, that's what it takes. You need to really revenue share. And you want a salary cap? Fine. Everybody pays the same. And I I think, what was it? Let's say uh, baseball was at, what, 13, $13 billion? So if you take $13 billion and divide it in half, right here at $6.5 billion, divide that by 30 teams, that's a cap. Yeah. Now, maybe that's $180, $185 million. I don't know. I didn't do the math off the top of my head. But whatever number that is, it adds about $2 billion in salaries to get paid out among teams, right? Because we've heard, oh, well, the Mets are paying. The Mets payroll is like $235 million. But the Astros are at one almost 158, they're ninth. That's how fast it drops down. Hmm. The Braves are 12 at 126. All those other teams are way under. Like I said, right now, you got 13 teams that are under 100 million dollars. So if you say, All right, well, everybody. You're all going to be at one hundred and eighty million dollars. So they want like not not a tax, but a salary cap at one hundred and eighty million dollars and then say, well, you've got to be within 10 percent of that cap over a three year period or you're writing a check to the Players Association. Hmm. Owners would never go for it, even though they they've stumped for 40 years, got to have a salary cap. And you can't say, oh, well, we'll do a salary cap at at 40% when every other sport is 50. The owners eventually will get called on their BS. It's just a matter of when the players finally buck up and say, you know what? You you want a salary cap so bad? Fine. Open the books.
2: You
1: know, last salary
3: cap, open the books. And right there is where they're all going to tuck tail and run.
1: On the last episode, I pointed this fact out. I saw a stat online. Forty-six percent of the Astros roster made under five hundred thousand dollars last year.
3: I think it was like fifty-two percent of the entire league
2: hmm.
3: make made the minimum. Yeah,
2: the, the, they're so, relying on
3: these young, and and they make the World Series, and and With that's four. why you know part of the union's uh, progression here is they're trying to get more money to young guys faster. Because over the last eight years, what baseball has done is they've taken that mid-level veteran, you know, and they've squeezed that guy's salary down or they've phased him out for the younger player. Like, all right, well, we'll take the young guy at the minimum if he can give us 60 percent of what the veteran can give us for eight million. Like, we'll we'll just and if it costs them games, they don't care because, you know, dollars. But this is where you know, your lack of of competition, your willingness to tank. Now, if you're, you you have to spend the money and, you know, you'll see different teams will manage the cap better than other teams, but you'll have to spend the money uh, in order to maintain your competitive integrity. And that's why, this is why the NFL can, you can go worse to first, because if you find that one player who can really transform your team, And you surround them with a couple of the right guys for all intents and purposes, the Bengals should not be in the Super Bowl. Their offensive line is a sieve. (laughs) But Joe Burrow is that guy. Joe Burrow is the guy who who transforms the entire offense. And they're hot. Their defense isn't great, but they're hot. You know? They got hot at the right at the right time. Is Tampa Bay better than Better than Cincinnati? Probably. I mean, if they had a play for the 10 times, I'd say Tampa would win 7. But you can do worse to first because you've got a salary cap, so there's turnover, there's a lot of guys on one-year deals. Uh, you When you bring in the young players, if you get that right you young player in, you know, you could have a guy who's a star for a decade. In baseball, you don't get that guy right away because you got to develop him some before he can come up. But you develop that guy, and then as they come up, you know, Albert Pujols, what he did for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You know, what Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, you know, got started in Atlanta. There is, there is a guy, you know, what, what Frankie Lindor ultimately uh, did for Cleveland before he got sent packing because, oh, we got to pay you now. You know, George Springer was the guy who came up with the Astros, and it kind of started with him. And it was Springer, and then it was Correa. So there are, in baseball, you you get one or two of those young guys in Toronto right now, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, they're knocking the hell out of the ball. These guys are, even if you don't necessarily win a World Series, They're putting people on the seats. They're getting people to watch. They're they're driving up your ratings. They're buying up your stuff. They're merchandise. They're putting, they're driving the money to the team. They're making the team interesting. And that's ultimately goal number one. How do we get everyone to want to watch us? Baseball does a terrible job of promoting its stars, both the national and the local level. You know, it was it was a colossal joke. You know, think about twenty seventeen. It's it's Altuve and Aaron Judge, and everybody knows who Aaron Judge is. Nobody knows who Altuve is. Altuve has been in the league for eight years. How do you not know who Jose Altuve is? Just nobody promotes the, you know, the guy who's five foot six and doesn't hit fifty homers. Yeah. You know, and the picture of Judge and Altuve, and you know how how the difference in size uh, of them at second base together. I mean. The fact that people didn't know who Jose Altuve was on a national level to that point is the perfect indicator of, of how poorly baseball markets its own players. And and that's the game. Nobody goes to a baseball game to watch the grass grow or to see what the owner's doing in the owner's box or to you know, watch an umpire pretend he's Enrico Palazzo. Like, nobody goes to watch that. We go to watch the players. And if you as own, if you're continually going to devalue your own players, the product that you put on the field, it's like you're trying to destroy your own game instead of growing. And and that has always been my my contention with this lockout. The owners are not trying to do anything here to grow the game or better the game. Their sole objective is to make the union bend the knee. That's it. Because in reality, if they play a 60-game season, They only pay the players a prorated amount of their their salaries, right? Players get paid game checks, so you get paid for every game. You're only getting paid 60 games instead of 162. But with those expanded playoffs and the fact the owners keep the overwhelming majority of the money, that works great for the owners. They cash in.
2: So the other day,
3: you think about the the COVID season, how they're like, oh, we lost money. We lost money. They didn't lose money like in the negative. They didn't make the amount of profit they would normally make, but they made the percentages better. And that's the part they all leave out. The percentages were better. All the dollar values are smaller because you played a shorter schedule. But because the owners make the majority of the postseason money. And the players make very little of the postseason money. The owners all padded their wallets with amazing postseason ratings and and, and big postseason, you know, the the new contracts. They all make, they made record money in a a pandemic season. They signed record contracts for the postseason. More postseason games, more money. And that's before all the advertising revenue, you know. So if you do that same thing again, only now they get to sell tickets and you've got sold out stadiums and filled parking lots and you're selling every beer and soda and pretzel and hot dog and people are buying up merchandise like crazy. It's a windfall for the owners if they pay a 60 game season with expanded playoffs. The players make less. The owners still pad their pockets.
1: Yeah, you you making less money than the year before is not losing money. They did not lose money, but let me ask you this, buddy. Um, yesterday, MLB asked for federal mediation in the bargaining talks to help resolve the lockout. The last time this happened was 1994 with the work stoppage, but they a month later they canceled the World Series, and today just a few minutes before we came on the players decline that request. So why would the player, why would the owners want this and the players not want this?
3: Because it's a PR stunt, basically federal mediation is non-binding. So whatever they, you know, were to come up with, they can't make them do it. What, where, where it comes in, if you go back to the 94 uh, issue where, the union and and the and management union and MLB they go and they have mediation and they basically they had to declare an impasse because the owners just like nope it's going to be our way and we're not agreeing to anything else it's going to be our way. The whole reason for the '94 strike is that after Jerry Reinsdorf convinced Bud Selig and a couple of the other hard hardline owners to overthrow Fay Vincent and tell the union, look, you're going to play with a salary cap or you're not going to play. That was the line in the sand that was drawn. There's going to be a work stoppage. And what they could have done at that point was say, we're going to lock you out, and that's that. But they didn't. They they Basically, they did this uh, mediation where they continued to play under the old rules, and then ultimately the players – Went on strike because baseball would not budge on anything, but specifically the salary cap, and that was Jerry Reinsdorf and Bud Selig driving that. For a small period of time during the strike, it was like two days. Baseball unilaterally implemented a salary cap. It lasted about two days, mm. but it's not binding. And uh, because they locked them out, I mean, the only thing that, that baseball can try to do is is try to, oh, well, we'll try to, you know, it's an impasse. They won't work. Let's decertify uh, you. Well, you can't do that because you're locked out. Essentially, what's going on here is baseball didn't want to negotiate. You, if you remember, their first offer to players was to have the, the tax drop from 210 to $180 million. That was their initial offer. So they were never making real serious offers on anything. They've made, what, two counter offers since then, where they managed to get the tax line up to 214 million. Now, normally the tax line would go up by two million dollars a year, even though baseball revenues were exploding. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to 212, well, we'll go to 214. So magnanimous of you owners. So magnanimous. This this is why, you know, baseball union is like just not every time they go back, the owners come back with some like shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the owners have come back with, you know, they've made but three total offers. Each one of them is a clown show. Oh, let's um, let's determine players value based on F war. Ninety five percent of people who are fans of the game don't even know what the hell F war is. <laughs> Um, you know, the fact that you have war, then you have a different war created by Fangrass, which is F war. Then you have a different one uh, that's B war. Then you have R war. There are so many different wars. Yeah, you know, it's it's like we're all Poland and there's war going on all around us. Yeah, there's all these different wars and none of them come out to the same thing. I don't even know if baseball knows how to calculate all these different wars. The, you're you're trying to oh, we'll use an outside fan based you know company that makes their own statistic, and we'll use that. Just stick the gun in my mouth and pull the trigger.
1: I don't like that idea at all
3: and And this is why the union and, and baseball they've they basically got nowhere. Baseball basically keeps telling the union, we're not doing a damn thing you want to do. And the union thought, all right, well, we'll make concessions on, well, we'll give up the idea of trying to get guys free agency at five years. Uh, you know, they gave that up and baseball said, oh, well, uh, we'll give you the DH. You're giving us the DH anyway because the fans want it. Yeah. You can't say you want more offense and then say, well, we're going to make pitchers hit. <laughs> it's It's like they're so full of it. Every time – they, they put something out. You can just see the lies permeating through everything. And the fact that they basically made no real effort to negotiate with the union for two years and then go, oh, well, let's try federal mediation. It's it's a giant ploy. And, and ultimately, that's why the, the union rejected it. Also, it's non-binding. So even if they come up with something, the owners don't have to listen. So what's the point? You know, it's like, hey, look, you and I are having a, a, a you and I are are having a disagreement. So let's go ask uh, Joel Blank if he'll help resolve uh, our disagreement. You make your case. I make my case. He chooses one of us as being right. And then the other one goes, screw you. I ain't doing this. <laughs> Welcome to federal mediation. So the whole thing is 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 a sham. So the, they had
1: a meeting, I, I think, last week, and, you know, everyone reported on it and said, oh, the meeting went well. You know, we made progress, but the last one went very bad. They didn't accomplish anything at all, because I guess they're getting to the meat and potatoes of the things the owners don't want to give up. What, what are the chances we start the season on time? I, I think it's zero at, uh, at the been moment. I've
3: saying for two years we're not starting the season on time and clearly and it's the 4th there's no way in hell pitchers and catchers are coming on the 16th no and and if that put if we were to stay with the traditional spring training timeline pitchers and catchers if they signed a deal today pitchers and catchers in 30 days let's say march let's say march 7th That puts the start of the season about April 25th. Yeah. You know, because what I don't want to see is how they they did the, that, you know, how they did that secondary spring training, the middle of the season, the COVID year. And they had like this like three week uh, hurried up spring training. And all we saw was arm injury after arm injury after arm injury. That I don't need to see.
1: I don't think I don't they'll rush them back. I'm sorry. I don't think they'll rush them back because I agree no, I with you about
2: they, they don't they
1: back. don't care they don't care if they shorten the season because they'll just expand the playoffs and they don't need anyone's approval for that. they'll just do it
3: well, they can't there's a certain amount of uh, there's a certain amount of I guess back and forth they have to go through before the commissioner can just unilaterally impose this is what the season's going to be that's kind of what we went through in in, uh in in uh 2020 but the players are going to want to play the full season because they're going to want all the money yeah and the only way they get that money is well we're going to wind up with a shorter spring training and you know the teams they're they're being instructed to push these guys not back them off because hey if we have to back off our star players and not push them as hard. And instead of starting the season, you know, 20 and 12, we start the season 12 and 20, I'm fired. And I don't want to be fired. So they wind up pushing these guys harder and that's how they get hurt. It's the players wanting to get every dollar they can because their careers are X long and that's their earning power. So they want to maximize their earning power. And then the, you know, Management pushing on. All right. Well, you know what? We're playing every game. So we need to win every game, even though you guys aren't ready. So, don't fall apart. Yeah. Of course, they're going to fall apart. The body's not meant to, to, to go from you know long tossing, uh, 120 feet to you know throwing 99 miles an hour as hard as you can, uh, with pinpoint accuracy and on a some sort of breaking pitch. So, it's, it, it becomes a a double-edged sword in that. In order for the players to get the most amount of money, they put themselves the most amount of risk.
1: Yeah, we'll see some seven-inning doubleheaders this year, then.
3: I didn't <laughs> mind the seven-inning doubleheader. I, I didn't either. I like them. Seven-inning doubleheader, I like that way more than the runner at second base. I,
1: I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, you get to watch two games. I think. It, I mean, some people are against it, but I think it was exciting because you could just have a starting pitcher go seven innings and – I think I think I thought it was exciting and it's like whoa this game's almost over. You know but the games are fast. It's amazing the you take two innings away how much faster it goes.
3: And and when you do that when you have those seven inning double headers you're usually doing that because you're trying to condense the season. So you're packing in a whole bunch of games into a short period of time. And really if we talk about quote the bullpen game Seven-inning doubleheader is when you want to do the bullpen game because you don't have to ask anybody to go more than two innings.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and yeah, you know what? You're not going to get the, your star, you know, starting pitcher out there. But the game is exciting. Uh, and, you know, it becomes a – it becomes a strategerial type of battle because you've got to mix and match your pitchers. And, you know, you, you do have two innings less to score runs. So, generally – you're going to get the underbelly of the bullpen instead of facing that in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. You're going to get that in the third or fourth inning. And if you, you know, get down four nothing early, you might not see any underbelly. It just might be, you know, their seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guy all coming in, bam, bam, bam. It makes it a little harder to come back. Yeah. So it's it is a different type of strategy when you go that way. But I didn't have a problem with that it, it, for the specific of, Hey, we need to condense the season. We're going to play a lot of games in a short period of time. Uh, or, you know, there's a pandemic and we're trying not to have, you know, guys out there as long, but we've got to get these games in. If, if they had to play seven in double headers uh, once every week in order to to fit in the full season or get as close to a full season as they could, I'd be okay with that. I'd mu- yeah. like I said, I'd much rather that. I think when we were kids, you used to get uh, a Sunday single admission doubleheader. So the first game would start at one, and you'd get the first game, and then you stayed there for the second game. Like, it was single admission. Then they went to a uh, day-night doubleheader. So you got a, a 1 o'clock game and a 7 o'clock game, and they charged two separate admissions.
2: Two and separate parkings. A,
3: the argument that they have against these double headers is they want to be able to charge you twice. Yeah. And and this goes back to another thing. Like you see how the owners are constantly trying to, we got to push down the salary, push down the salary Well, our small market teams can't compete. You don't really have a small market team. You know about Oakland is market six. Just because they're run like a like a bunch of paupers doesn't mean that they are in a small market. You know that, they're, they're like the number one example of yeah. you're not in a small market. You just operate like one because you got a lousy building. But they want to push down on salaries. Oh, we got to pay less. We got to pay less, even though they're making record profits. Well, the players are getting paid less. They're the they have a the whole reason to show up. Are your ticket prices going down? Hell no, no. Prices go up every year. Parking goes up every year. Concessions go up every year. Merchandise goes up every year. Well, they keep making more money. Why the players getting paid less? Greed, and that's really all it is. You got owners; they want to pocket the money, and this is why the union doesn't want. They want the, the CBT to go way up because they want to encourage spending. And let's be real. When the big teams spend money, that's good for baseball. That's better ratings. That's more eyes. That's more people caring. Instead of, well, you know, we don't really don't want to have to pay uh, this particular player. Look, I mean, every time the Dodgers are on, every, people watch. They're the most watched team in the league because they're basically a team of stars. Sure, you have six of those. You have six teams that are must watch TV every week. Like, that's what drives interest in your sport. That's why you know, like, you want to you see playoff revenue. Watch what happens when your playoff ratings double because you got a team full of stars in the National League, a team full of stars in the American League, and, and they're playing each other in the World Series. Or you got two of them playing each other in the championship series before they get to the World Series. This is, this is the common sense stuff that never seems to make it to the station when it comes to Major League Baseball. They're always trying to count the pennies that are in their pocket. They're never looking at, there's a zillion more pennies on the other side of the street if I walk across.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, buddy, let me tell you this. I don't know if we've ever done this together if you've done a fair or foul segment with me. Have you done that yet? I don't know. Okay, so I come up with five questions. Mo- mostly it's for fun. And uh, if you agree, say fair. If you don't, you say foul. Okay. Let's dive number into it. Old. All right, number one, the Washington Commanders. How do you, what, Fair or foul, you like that name they chose?
3: Um, I'm going to say Fair. Because calling them the commies of the red shirts is going to be absolutely hilarious for fans of the other 31 teams.
1: <laughs> you know, Commanders is a good name because Commander-in-Chief. But I don't know. I I, I got attached to the, the Washington football team name. I, 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 I'll say foul. I don't really care for it. And their uniforms are stupid.
3: Well, you've got, you know, you're wearing red. You're in the Capitol, uh, and you're, and you're going to get nicknamed the commies. I mean, it's yeah. it's just it's sheer comedy for the other 31 fan groups.
1: <laughs> All right, number two. This is something I saw yesterday, but I'm not totally sure if it's a joke or not. But I, I thought it would still be a good topic. Apple smart wedding rings. They track your partner's location, where they've been, and if they took the ring off. Fair or foul? Would you wear one of these?
3: Foul as <laughs> all hell. If you, if you trust your partner so much that you need to lojack them, maybe you shouldn't be getting married. <laughs> well, honey, I want to marry you, but I have to know exactly where you are at all times. Um, did I marry the Chinese government? What exactly the hell is going on here? That's a, that's a big, big no.
1: I mean, you already have that when you sh- you could just share your location on your phone with each other. But I mean, I, I don't have anything to hide, so I would wear it, but no need. I mean, you like you said, you got to have trust. So I'll say foul, even though I think it's, I, I think any kind of new technology is cool, but I'll say foul.
3: Yeah, i if if somebody said that that was like the condition of all right we're getting married but you've got to wear this thing that tells me exactly where you <laughs> are at all times um um not showing up
1: all right number three i saw this while being bored yesterday uh looking at the astros website there's not really anything on there and i don't even know how i came across this but Did you know that you could book the World Series trophy at your event? Like if you have like a little company event, or I guess if you're rich, you could have a birthday party. But it's $1,500 an hour. So it could be two parts, like fair or foul. Would that be super cool to have, you know, like maybe like a wedding reception and have the World Series trophy there for an hour?
3: I'm going to go foul on both. Here's why. All right. Why the hell is baseball renting out the World Series trophy? Why for would you money? You you don't need the money that bad. What you really don't need is somebody to break your world. So how many World Series trophies actually <laughs> are there? Because if you're renting it out, so if I'm renting it out today and five other people are renting it out today, so there's six of these things floating around, they just keep making more every time they want to rent one out and it goes to a different part of the country. I feel like this is a total total sham Mm. and and the fact that like fifteen hundred dollars an hour look to rich people they they spend more than that on a cup on a bottle it's just the fact that why would you do this number one the only trophy worth renting out at your party is the stanley cup everything else is as Mm. rob manford would say a piece of metal the stanley cup is a drink out of it what the hell am I gonna do with the, the World <laughs> Series trophy? Take a picture of it, and okay, that's it. It costs me less to go fly to Cooperstown and take a picture of one there and fly back.
2: Hmm. I thought it would be cool.
3: It'd be great, that's it. To like like a Dodgers fan has a party. And Ooh. of course, you know, Dodgers fans can't do anything without assaulting each other. And the next thing you know, the thing's going back in like nine pieces because it got crushed over somebody's head. That's a video I want to see.
1: Do you think they would make multiple trophies? Because that that would that would be totally to. wrong.
3: They they have how can, to. How could you charge. Have one.
1: How can you charge someone fifteen hundred dollars to rent out the trophy that's not even real?
3: Because bucket heads will pay for it. Hmm. There's always that's, some idiot who doesn't, oh, fifteen hundred. dollars yeah, sure, I'll spend that. I don't care. How
1: would you even know?
3: But, and they wouldn't. That's that's the whole that's the whole great thing about it, is until people start posting videos of it online. Oh, I had the trophy on uh, you know, April 5th, and somebody else is like, Well, I had the trophy on April 5th, and we're <laughs> nine states away.
1: Now you're scaring me. Now I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it on my retirement part. Hopefully they win another one. All right, number 4. I saw this yesterday. They're now going to sell college football jerseys with the players' names on the back. It's something they never did before. They just put the the number of the most famous players on there and you knew whose jersey you had. And the player are going the player, I guess the players are going to get paid, but like whoever's jersey you buy will now have their name on it and they're going to get paid. So fair or foul kind of part two parts, I guess. Do you think that's cool that they're finally going to put the names on the back? And part two is uh, you think it's nice that the, the kids are actually going to make some money off of their names.
3: This is beyond fair. This is justice. This is justice. They should have their names on there and they should be getting paid and they should have been getting paid again. How many people watch college football because, well, the logo with the 50 looks so nice. Let's drop 400 tickets here, sit at the 50-yard line, and just look at it for four hours. Nobody does that. You got watch the game. You will watch the stars. And, and the fact they finally will get compensation for their name, image, and likeness, uh, this is 100 years overdue. So, yeah. very fair. Super fair. Extremely fair. I saw, of the
1: fair. Me too. Not only is it fair, I think it's cool. I mean, if you're a big college football fan, why wouldn't you want the guy's name on the back?
3: So here's, right. here's the trade-off question to you. Okay. Um, how many retrofitted Johnny Manziel jerseys get sold in the next 12 months?
2: Probably a lot. See that's cool. You could even go back and get the former players. It's nice. Number five.
1: I did. I did have a different one on this, and I changed it because I found something better.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> the original one was lemon in your iced tea, and I hate lemon in my iced tea. But I saw the story today. The Astros should retire J.R.
3: Richards number 50. Fair. 100%. J.R. Richard was a freaking boss.
2: Yeah.
3: I one agree. Your pitchers in the league and the fact that you know he ultimately suffers a stroke and ends his career. Um tragic. He was a legit star. And you you think about what kind of numbers would J.R. Richard have? He just played six more years, let alone 10. Uh, I I think J.R. Richard was one of the most dominant pitchers of his era. He's forgotten about unfairly because of the fact his crew was so short. I don't think Astro fans
1: forget about him.
3: I think a lot of Astro fans don't really include J.R. Richard.
1: I was going to say that. I was going to say that.
3: Because how many fans weren't even born when he pitched?
1: Okay, so us older guys. Because if you said name name 10 former Astros, there's no way I leave J.R. Richard out of it. I mean, he's one of the first people that come to my mind. Vigio, Bagwell. Yeah, I, I know. Oh, so it's okay. So he's not very well known with the I people that okay. if you're
3: talking about guys, you know, thirty-five and under, no, he's 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 not gonna he's not gonna come up. And that's why I think it's so great about Terry Poole uh, being inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame. Terry Poole was a terrific player. You know, he wasn't a, a, a Hall of Fame player, but he was a really, really good player uh and very popular player on on Astros teams for over a decade. And uh he's a guy that I think a lot of people are gonna learn about because of the fact that he's getting inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of guys 35 and under that know to chant Cruz for Jose Cruz, but I don't think they really know a whole lot about him.
1: Yeah. So that was one of the topics earlier, but we we're kind of going a little too long because I didn't want to go over the hour mark here, but because we're keep, But yeah, I was going to talk about Terry Poole and Tall Smith making the Hall of Fame this year. Terry Poole was uh, his rookie year, 77, he hit 301, 78, the only Astros all-star representative. And in the 1980 NLCS, he had a 526 average. So 14 seasons he played for the Astros. Well-deserved.
3: Now, he only made one All-Star team. And never led the league in, well, anything. But, you know, think about the fact that he played, you know, the Astrodome Astrodome was basically playing in the Grand Canyon. And he was a very consistent player. He was a solid hitter. he was a very good defensive player. He he was he was a guy who is when you think about in mean, 14 years as a Houston Astro, um, and as an Astro hit 281 for his career. Yeah, you know, he doesn't have any like super gaudy stats. When you think about that that era, there's not a lot of guys that have super gaudy stats from the mid 70s to the mid 80s. Like it's just not. Uh, You know, guys hit 30 home runs. They were power hitters. Like, almost nobody hit 40. I think the only guy who hit 50 in that time was George Foster at 52 in, like, 1977 or 78. And, like, nobody – those numbers just weren't realistic. Guys didn't hit home runs like that back then. Uh, But he was a very good player. He was a popular player. Played for a long time. You know, 14 years of the organization. Uh, I think it's nice to – that they – I think it's nice that they will honor him uh, in that regard. And I think a lot of guys are going to learn about him and we'll start seeing more stories coming out about, you know, different things that he's did. uh, You know, interesting thing. He makes the all-star team in 78. Like you said, now he might have been there because he was, you know, the Astros had to have a representative and well, he was the guy, but. Like when Castro made it. Yeah. And look, that's (laughs) happened. Any team that's not that good, you've you got to find a way to get their, you know, their representative on, uh, which I think is good that you you get the, the representatives to be on. Um, you know, I think 84 was probably his best season. You know, I think it's the only season he ever had no PS over 800. Um, he hit 301. It was a that was a really, it was a really good season. For him, he played a lot of probably like 130 something games. So uh, you're, start, you're starting to sound like Micah Costa. <laughs> solid player, <laughs> and I'm glad that they're uh, they're going to recognize some of these guys. And, um, and and if you're listening to this and you don't follow Micah Costa, shame on you, and hurry up and follow him.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's it for today's show. Coming up on Sunday, I haven't really announced this. Uh, on the podcast, but I announce it on Twitter. But we have original member of the Killer Bees, Sean Barry, is going to be my guest on Sunday, and that's pretty exciting.
3: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah. So anyway, that's it. Patrick, thanks for coming on. We're gonna bust this this ceiling, like like I said, me and you getting in the glass elevator. Boom! We're gonna do it to two
3: hundred thousand.
1: It's awesome. Um, So yeah, thanks to all you for tuning in Thanks to all you guys listening Thanks a lot for helping the show Get to 200,000 Patrick, I appreciate you coming on again And we'll see you next time
3: I appreciate it
1: Yeah, you're a fan favorite We'll see how long that
3: lasts But I'll take it while I can get
1: it You're a listener's favorite (laughs) I just told my wife, I don't want to call the listeners fans Because I'm pretty sure they're not my fans They're listeners, there you go All right, right, well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Hopefully, y'all are still here with us. We're We're over an hour into the show, but thanks for listening. Sean Barry coming in on Sunday, and we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot.